Welcome to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, an integrative health podcast by Center for New Medicine. We created the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast as an extension of our mission to educate and empower individuals along their health journey. This integrative health podcast will bring you in-depth expert interviews on a plethora of health topics. Tune in bi-weekly for interviews on how to create a non-toxic lifestyle, integrative approaches to treating complex health concerns like diabetes, Lyme's, Hashimoto's, Crohn's, adrenal fatigue, mental, emotional, and spiritual health, cancer prevention, early cancer detection, integrative cancer treatments, and so much more. Through the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, we hope to provide cutting-edge, science-based information you can use to create a happier and healthier life for you and your loved ones. Welcome back to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Lindsay, and today I'm interviewing Dr. Martin Bales, who this is actually his first time on the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, although he plays an integral role here at the center. Today we are talking all about Alzheimer's disease, and like so many of our episodes, we really focus on comparing and contrasting what a conventional approach to Alzheimer's disease looks like versus an integrative approach. And he really focuses on helping us understand what is the physiology that's happening with Alzheimer's disease within the body? And then what are some of the unique tests and treatments we offer here at the center to expand upon conventional treatments of Alzheimer's disease? So with that, please enjoy this interview with Dr. Martin Bales. Well, Dr. Bales, welcome to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. And it is your first time on the show, which is kind of surprising because you play a huge role at the center, but we're so happy to finally have you on. With that said, for anyone who doesn't know you or isn't a patient, they're just a listener of the podcast, can you share a little bit of your personal journey and how you got into the integrative medicine world and then what you do here at the center? Sure. I'll try to keep it uh, somewhat brief. So I grew up <laughs> totally in allopathic medicine. I'm a Kaiser baby. <laughs> and uh, I had <laughs> uh, not horrible, but a lot of ear infections. And uh, according to my mom, a lot, a lot of gut issues growing up. And of course, Kaiser was pretty clueless to help me. Um, and um, so starting in about uh, mid 80s, my dad uh, started selling the, he invented the dig digital infrared camera, actually for missile detection for military, but he started selling to a little, little bit more of, I guess what you would label alternative practitioners. And he was selling to both Alpatic and that, and kind of getting into that realm. And it kind of woke us up as we got into the early nineties when I guess when alternative medicine uh, really started to go. Um, because it really woke us up to what was going on and that the conventional allopathic way with all the pharmaceuticals was really not the best way. Mm -hmm. So he came out with the first light therapy device in 1998. And that's when we, our family really started going more towards the, uh, what we say now is integrative realm. Um, I have uh, engineering degrees first. So I, that, that realm of people usually isn't that much into this medicine, but I've made the crossover 
And I, I uh, after graduating with the bachelor's degrees, I worked for a couple of years in engineering and then decided that I wanted to go into medicine, mainly because having worked at my dad's uh, for basically I was the automatic summer intern all the years, yeah. <laughs> his company, and I loved going out and doing demonstrations with the equipment. And it was usually, like I said, more the alternative um, realm of doctors and kind of got to see how they were doing things. And it just actually as an engineer, it really just made sense because the, my engineering side would say, okay, why are we just throwing, if, if a circuit is broken or multiple circuits are broken, why are we just you know, throwing this at it as a mandate, which is what a lot of the pharmaceuticals are. Why aren't we actually diagnosing and looking at the circuit as a whole? Mm-hmm. And I've been able to take that over to medicine and my uh, opinion of what a good doctor is versus an okay doctor is, is doing the same thing. It's really like being a detective and trying to figure out what's going on with people uh, from a holistic standpoint. Um, so, um, uh, <coughs> what do I do now? So I went over to, <laughs> I went over to uh, the other side and I got a master's and then a doctoral in acupuncture and oriental medicine and had a practice for a couple of years. And then I met Dr. Lear and Keneally. She actually wanted to borrow some equipment, uh, for a personal injury she had. And, uh, she asked me to start working at the center. Uh, th- uh this was over 11 years ago, uh, two afternoons a week. And that quickly turned into four, four full days a week. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, it's, I, I've learned just so much. I think I calculated about 25,000 patient visits in that wow. time. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's been crazy. I've learned, as most people will say, you learn so much more from your patients than you ever learned in school. Yeah. Um, so at the center now, I, uh, I, 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 there's lots of things I do. I do head the thermography still. We have one of my, one of my father's cameras and that, um, is used for breast imaging. Uh, I don't do that. We have a female technician, but also for pain imaging to see inflammatory pr- uh, processes in the body. And also, uh, the, the kind of the biggest thing I do is with, uh, and I'll we'll get into this more cause it's actually a treatment we do for Alzheimer's is using uh, a device called F scan which scans the body for pathogens, uh, kind of a diagnostic. And then the, my dad's latest light therapy device, which is called Firefly, to actually treat pathogens and pain. Mm-hmm. And I also um, am involved with a PEMF, pulsed electromagnetic field, which we use for some of the IV therapies, um, both with cancer and other patients, uh, and also for, uh, for bone healing and for pain management. Yeah. Yeah, when I'm sure a lot of, a lot of listeners, a lot of patients have had so much experience with you and the firefly is just such a phenomenal treatment it's been so exciting to see it just to see more and more patients get exposed to it and benefit from it really thank you and we really have my dad to thank on that one i'm the clinical guy he's more the engineer up in the lab up in norcal and uh, he's the one who made all this happen so (laughs) kudos to him so i guess diving into alzheimer's today as you said, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the specific treatments we do at the center to address Alzheimer's patients, but we do need to kind of back up a little bit <laughs> just for anyone who's like, yeah, you know, obviously I know Alzheimer's exists, but I really don't know the pathology or the physiology behind it. Can you give us a little bit of a definition? What is Alzheimer's? What's happening within the brain and the body with Alzheimer's? Okay, and this is going to be mainly from an allopathic or Western standpoint, I think. And we'll discuss a little bit later more of our integrative holistic assessment yep. of, of what's mm-hmm. going on. But yeah, just just, just straight from textbooks. So Alzheimer's disease actually falls under this big umbrella known as dementia. And uh, I was, I've was i been researching this for a while because over the past year and a half have been bringing the firefly for neurocog uh, treatment. But I was surprised. I thought, I thought Alzheimer's was the umbrella. It's really is dementia. It's this big umbrella. 
And then there's many sub diseases in there. Alzheimer's is actually short for Alzheimer's dementia. That's the official diagnosis. Okay. Um, it is the most common under that, that umbrella I found out. It makes up about 60 to 80% of the cases. So when someone oh, says wow. they have dementia, uh, unfortunately, they're probably going to, uh, pro uh, progressing towards Alzheimer's dementia. Now, okay. uh, the, the big difference there is that a dementia patient, it, it, the uh, diagnosis can be very mild, like just forgetting your keys once in a while or where your keys are or, you know, to, to pick up a, the thing of milk at the grocery store to severe, which is going towards the Alzheimer's dementia, which is actually forgetting who you are and your friends and loved ones are. Mm -hmm. um, that's what that's what that's the line that's crossed into the Alzheimer's dementia from just regular regular dementia. Mm -hmm. um, so most people know it's a chronic degenerative progressive disease. It affects mainly memory, but other mental functions and cognitive ability, just the ability to do arithmetic uh, can be affected as well as, as with dementia. Um, and it's usually isn't the patient reporting the symptoms like a pain patient would come in and say, I can say I have pain here, I have pain there. It's, it's the loved ones and the friends and family that are reporting what's going on. Um, they're, they're confused. They're not knowing who they are. They are but friends and family and it can come and go. So one moment they can be fine, you know, maybe just like, you know, kind of a mild dementia type type state and another moment they won't know who they are. And it's very um, frustrating for the caretakers. And I've seen this because you don't know when they're going to go in and out uh, that. And, and unfortunately, they don't uh, usually just uh, just wind down. They actually can get quite angry and become quite violent towards the towards people that are trying to help them. And of course, you can imagine the amount of frustration with that. And they also seemingly like to want, like they'll just wander off like a child mm -hmm. and get lost and not know who they are or, or where they are. You know, uh, and the other statistic, like we said, it's 60, 80 percent of the dementia cases. And unfortunately, it's becoming more and more popular. There's about three million cases, new cases in the U.S. alone every year. I was actually shocked oh, wow. by that. So it's quite a bit more three and million. probably wow. three million. And that's to the Alzheimer's point. There's say how many million that are at the dementia point that are going to be on to that point later if, if some intervention. But the good news is there are some interventions. We'll talk about this in a yeah. second. So it's not all, <laughs> all, all negative. Um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. uh, so as, as you asked here, I think your second question was what's happening with the body? Well, and again, and this is done by imaging and that uh, there's a high concentration of what's called beta amyloid plaque that's present in, in the patient's brain. And this plaque is kind of like the plaque that causes atherosclerosis or arteriosclerosis where, where, where it's plugging up. And, and we're gonna get into my, what my theory is on that, or even the plaque that can be like on your teeth, like it's this plaque that forms. And it's seen, uh, can, can be seen um, later stage on imaging, but really is only diagnosed post-mortem. Post uh, with sample of the of the so it's one it's this is a very weird disease. Most things can be surely diagnosed in a, in a Western standpoint uh, be, before the patient passes, and um, so uh, and we'll get into that. But it's it's this plaque that sits on the brain cells and prevents uh, different parts of the brain from communicating with each other. And so you can understand that there's the cognitive disability right there. And uh, apparently, it doesn't start off with one day you have no plaque and then. The next day you have all this plaque. It, it's a it's a progressive, uh, progressive thing. The plaque accumulates. So most people, by the time they're diagnosed, and this is what we found, at least in the integrative world with most diseases, something's been going on for maybe up to 20 years, just kind yeah. of a slow progression down. I'm sure there's a few cases where it's fast. Someone has a major head injury or something and then goes downhill, but that's uh, that, that's going to be a lot more rare. I bet mm -hmm. most of these three main cases are, are a progression over, over the years. 
Yeah. Well, and it's so, for me, I always love to hear what is the physiology of what's going on? Because it's sort of like, if we know that, then we can work backwards. Okay. So Alzheimer's is this chronic buildup of plaque that eventually gets to a point that just no communication can happen. So what's causing the buildup of plaque? Right. Or what are, you know, contributing factors to that? And that's what I'm so excited for us to talk about today a little bit. Because one of the things we love to do on the show is do some compare and contrasting between conventional approaches and then integrative approaches and just highlighting how much more in depth really the integrative approach is and can focus on a root cause. So let me go through a little bit. We talked about the conventional, you know, what it is, the the understanding of it. And then now let's talk about the allopathic approach. what treatment and therapy. So um, the first thing that any neurologist would do is run a number of tests. And I said, it's kind of an odd disease. The tests um, usually are more to rule out what, what may uh, other diseases. So it's to rule out Parkinson's it's to rule out and other neurocognitive diseases. So to me, I call that kind of a bucket diagnosis. If you take and you rule out everything else, it kind of falls down at the bottom of the bucket. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, which, which leads me to believe there might be um, some misdiagnosing uh, in, in that okay. realm. That's a theory of mine. But um, unfortunately, again, making an odd disease, the only test to fully confirm diagnosis is done post-mortem. So they, 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 they can, you, you just can't test the brain. You like can't, that. you can't, you can't, you can't biopsy and go with the brain without possibly doing more damage. So, I mean, I, under, I get it. I understand why. Um, but they can give the patient a working diagnosis, what they would call, um, just like in the motion picture industry, they'd say a working title of Alzheimer's and then go along with the, with those treatment. Um, or a living diagnosis, I guess is what you'd say. So brain imaging is usually done, MRI or CT, which does show the levels of, of, of the plaque. I guess it can show some of it, but it, it's not real good. It, it, the imaging is, isn't, the resolution isn't quite there yet to, be, mm-hmm. to, make, a, to make a definitive diagnosis. Um, and then there are other forms of uh, assessments that have come out through the years uh, that evaluate memory, thinking, and learning. Um, and those are done through computer-based, uh, you know, computer interaction. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, like I mentioned, the neurological exam to rule out the other diseases. Um, treatment is mainly in the pharma pharmaceutical realm, and there's actually uh, well some newer drugs. Uh, uh, there's a couple different classes, and I'll try not to get too technical here. But the first <laughs> one, <laughs> um, first one inhibits an en- enzyme uh, called a cholinesterase. If you remember back from uh, high school uh, chemistry, or if it ends in ends in ASC, it's an enzyme. And uh, this, so it blocks the breakdown of acetylcholine, which is a neurotransmitter. So if you can block the breakdown of a neurotransmitter, you'll have more of this neurotransmitter, which seems to help with the symptoms of Alzheimer's. So all of these, except for the last one I mentioned, are really just symptom control. And at least according to my patients, um, none of these drugs seem to be like a miracle or magical. And they all, of course, have side effects Mm -hmm. uh, with them too. And it seems... Uh, at least for my patients that have been diagnosed, it's like, well, the neurologist will say, well, let's try this drug. Okay, if that doesn't work, then let's try this drug. And there's four main classes of drugs, and, uh, and then in each class, there's four or five of them. So a patient could spend years jumping from one to the other to find uh, one that worked better or had less side effects or even using combinations of these drugs. Yeah. So it's a bit of a textbook. Uh, unfortunately, like in a lot of allopathic medicine, it's a bit of a textbook. You just you try this. If that doesn't work, you try this. And meanwhile, the patient's going downhill. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, that's number one. The second uh, I- I- group of drugs, they up- upregulate glutamate, okay? And glutamate levels can be off, either too much or too little, in patients with Parkinson's, uh, with, sorry, with Alzheimer's, and probably, I was thinking Parkinson's and MS, probably in all the neurocognitive glutamate can be off. And um, it, it helps regulate that, which helps the pro- processes in the brain and other areas of the body. So again, it's, it's really just a Band-Aid just to get someone functioning probably a healthy person that took this might start functioning a little bit better, at least for a time. Mm-hmm. Um, the third, are, it's called orexin receptor antagonist. And I know that's a mouthful, um, but orexin is not, ju- is not just associated uh, with Alzheimer's. It actually, um, the, the orexin molecule is very important for sleep- uh, sleeping, eating, and wakefulness, just in from mindfulness. So the, the, these receptor antagonist drugs um, uh, help patients with that. And we're going to get into why I think insomnia is such a big issue when we talk about the integrative uh, theories and, and approaches. Mm-hmm. So they help to regulate this, this orexin. Um, and then the fourth are just general cognition meds. A lot of them are just uh, typically to lower blood pressure and balance mm-hmm. mood. So they can be some of the, uh, some of the psych drugs that are used too. And again, you're just kind of band-aiding it. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So not a lot of good news there, but those are the, those are the four main types. Now this new, uh, this, there's a new drug and it's still under investigation that actually uh, I, I just learned about, uh, Donanamib, and it actually claims to remove the plaque from the brain. And really? that, that's pretty cool. That was able to do that. Uh, I think it'd be pretty neat. I think that's a better approach than just these other, you know, ones that are kind of indirectly monitoring a lot of the, um, a lot of the neurotransmitters and other other molecules. And there is research in Australia going on right now using ultrasound to break up the plaque, which I think would be a really cool approach. The only question I have is where does that plaque go? Right. If you break it up and it, is it just going to reclog another part of the brain? Uh-huh. It can it cross the, the blood uh, brain barrier. Uh, and, go into and, the gut or something. and then go into the gut or go or go and clog someone's artery up more. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't, it's, it sounds neat. Um, I hope it works, but that, um, but that's just a question that I would have. So it's interesting because unfortunately, so many of the conventional approaches that we talk about, regardless of the disease, really just incorporate pharmaceuticals and Regardless of what it is, there are so many other areas we can focus, even outside of treatments, just diet and lifestyle. But I'm really excited to get into your take on an integrative approach to Alzheimer's and what that might incorporate a little bit more of. Okay, so the integrative approach, and this is this is the Center for New Medicine slash Dr. Bale's integrative approach. I don't want to speak in general <laughs> for every integrative practitioner on the whole planet, right. <laughs> but just in general, I think they would probably agree with most of this. But okay, so we're going to look at the whole person. We're not going to fo- just focus on that plaque in the brain or what we can do to make you know cognition just a little learn. We will, but not just that, but everything. So it starts. Um, with a visit to one of our medical doctors, um, where blood and urine work is, is done, the uh, done for uh, to look at dietary deficiencies and toxins uh, such as uh, synthetic chemicals and heavy metals. So we're kind of starting from there because just like you mentioned, why is that plaque there? Nobody mm-hmm. seems to know. I have a theory I'll discuss in, in a minute, but we'll, let's start from there. And and that's the approach that we would start really with any uh, chronic disease, right? I mean, at the center, I mean, it's a very holistic approach. Uh, the dietary deficiencies uh, can be addressed through diet and supplementation. And then the toxins can be addressed through detox programs, 
uh, such as EDTA chelation for heavy metals. So let's get rid of those toxins now because those just aren't helping. Regardless of that plaque being there or not, that's just not good news <laughs> um, yeah. to, to start with. So um, other therapies we have uh, would be hyperbaric oxygen has been shown uh, to, to be very effective. And the, uh, the Firefly light therapy uh, device uh, in combination with my F-scan, I'll talk about that in a minute, uh, exercise therapy, get people moving. And that ties into detoxing the uh, synthetic chemicals because we usually we don't poo or pee, pee those out very well. They, they're um, excised through sweat. Okay. So if you can get someone sweaty, if they absolutely can't exercise, if they could sit in a far infrared sauna or just get somewhere where they're where they're exercising, if they can even just go on our on our uh, turbo sonic, the press plate vibrating, just to get the lymph lymph moving. Um, so all three of them, the hyperbaric oxygen, the firefly, and exercise therapy, what they're really doing is promoting oxygen and, and increased blood circulation. Uh, well, mm -hmm. if you have increased blood circulation, you're going to have a greater exchange of the cerebral spinal fluid, uh, which is derived from the blood. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I have a feeling that that's involved with this plaque that, that sounds like it. Yeah. So if we, if we can get more of that going, I would think that would help, uh, in you know, with someone with this diagnosis and probably all these for any of the neurocog. Can I ask real quick, are there any other additional testing you guys do, or is it kind of the testing is other than the blood test? You, I know the blood tests you do a little bit more, but in terms of like imaging or, um, I know that we also have some specific sort of cognition tests we do at the center too. Do you use those with Alzheimer's patients? You can. Um, the patients that have come to me thus far, I've, re I've let the Western kind of do their testing and come okay. to the come to the diagnosis. Now, I, it's interesting. Uh, I was going to mention this later, but we can talk about it now. I do have a, a device called Brain Gauge. And Brain Gauge, it, it looks like a little mouse and it plugs into the computer. And in about 25 minutes, and this is for everybody, not just Alzheimer's. This is just people that have noticed, you know, they're starting to go into a little bit of cognitive decline. They kind of want to see where they are. It's just a diagnostic. It's not a treatment. But it assesses, I think it's seven different areas, uh, plasticity, accuracy, uh, speed, uh, those kinds of things of the brain. It's a, it's a patient interacting with this little mouse device. And then what it does is scores that person based on their age. So a senior citizen is not going to be um, scored against an adolescent. Mm -hmm. And it says, okay, for your, there's a big national database and they say for your age, you know, you're at these percentage markers. Well, that's a good place to start as an assessment before doing these therapies, especially if someone is wondering uh, how uh, these, the therapies that we're doing and even maybe some of the drug therapies too, you know, are affecting. Um, we usually like to look at the caretaker or the spouse or whoever's with the person. They usually have the best report, but mm -hmm. uh, just as an objective, the brain gauge would, would work well for that. Okay. So uh, thank you for reminding me. Yeah, that's, that, that'd be a good place to start before embarking upon some of these therapies. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, the Firefly. Um, I think really important is the mind-gut connection here uh, with, with mm -hmm. all of these. And so at least in my <laughs> journeys in 11 and some years at the center, pretty much anybody with chronic illness has gut issues. Mm -hmm. And just having the F-scan, and that's short for frequency scan, it's a device from Switzerland, that in about two minutes can kind of come up and tell the patient what most likely bugs they have, usually their gut. Uh, I can just tell you everybody that, that I've, uh, the F-Scan has uh, corroborated my original idea <laughs> of gut, uh, gut mishealth in a lot of the chronic pain cases, or chronic, uh, just chronic condition cases can be pain too. So mm -hmm. uh, those patients have had an extremely high load. So it's my theory that infections can exist in the gut and they can travel to the brain via uh, one of the cranial nerves. It's cranial nerve 10, it's called the vagus nerve. And it actually runs down uh, from the cranium, 
from the head and all the way down into the uh, the peritoneum abdomen area. It regulates sympathetic function and has a whole bunch a uh, whole bunch of um, uses. And if a bacteria or virus was able to get on that and and climb its way up into that would be a pathway into the brain that bypasses the uh, blood brain barrier. Mm-hmm. And that could cause, uh, for example, with Parkinson's, we, uh, they know upon imaging that uh, the part of the brain called the substantia nigra has been damaged. And that's what makes the dopamine. Without dopamine, we get really rigid, and that's what a Parkinson's diagnosis is. Well, that would make perfect sense if an infection was able to climb up and destroy that part of the brain. Well, wow. what if it was able to do that on a global scale with Alzheimer's? It's a theory of mine, but, um, but that's, that's kind of what I think. Because that's huge. So can you explain a little bit of what you would do with an Alzheimer's patient. And because I know what the F-scan and the Firefly is, and I'll also make sure we link our other podcast interview on the F-scan and the Firefly. But so then normally I know you're doing the Firefly treatment on the gut. Do you also do it on the skull area for Alzheimer's patients? Yes, yes. The process is uh, getting scanned with the F-scan and then a 10-minute treatment with the Firefly over the gut to eliminate what other pathogens came up. And what, I, what I've started adding, I've been doing that for regular uh, you know, patients that just had digestive disorders. And many of them have said afterwards that their brain fog went away and I was just treating their gut. So that leads me even more to believe the brain-gut uh, connection. And what I've added is 10 more minutes at those same frequencies mm. over the cranium, over the head, just to, if there was a, uh, something up there that came up on the F scan, that it, it would be able to take care of it. So wow. it's a, so it's a, tw- a 20 minute treatment. Uh, it's best done at least three times a week. Notice with all these neurocog and probably, as I mentioned before, because this has been a, a long, slow progression, the patient didn't just get it overnight. It's been 20 years. It's going to take some treatments um, relatively close together to see some kind of improvement turnaround, or maybe a goal would be if a person is more onto the moderate to severe side, just uh, symptom control and also uh, the cessation of the progression of the disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That might be a win for those patients. Maybe just a mild uh, diagnosis, we'd actually be able to to reverse the uh, symptoms. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you had, uh, you'd ask, this is where it ties into the root cause. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So I'll get on my spiel. So uh, as we know, in allopathic <laughs> medicine, um, there, there is no known cause. It's only known that there, there's this plaque on the brain. Okay. So let's you and I be detectives here. Cause that's what the best doctor is a detective, right? <laughs> okay. So we did our tests. We, we see, we F scan, we see gut issues. We see deficiencies uh, in the, from the blood. We see deficiencies in nutrients. We see heavy metals. We see that that's good clues to start with. But let's go a step further. So as you know, as I mentioned, integrative medicine, we're trying to look uh, at what has been happening or going on with the patient probably for a long time uh, and to explain why why this beta amyloid plaque has been building up in the brain cells. Okay, so our theory, uh, just like with most chronic disease patterns, is that lifestyle and diet and the patient's body has been in a state of mental and probably physical decline for a lot of years. That's true with most of these, and the exception for that would be someone that had had a had a head trauma or something, you know, where they were, were actually a healthy person had a head trauma, and then uh, and then it went downhill after that. But that that's probably not very very popular. So, um, just like, and I think Dr. Roney and all the other doctors would agree with me, diet it, the main culprit is the sugar. It's the sugar levels that feed into all of these host of inflammatory processes. And I don't mean so much the natural sugar, like from fruit. I mean the processed processed sugar and, the, and of course, the processed ingredients and a lot of the processed foods. So it feeds in all these inflammatory processes. 
um, that's the diet. For lifestyle, I think lack of regular exercise leads up to poor, uh, poor blood circulation over time as someone gets older and a buildup of toxins. And we talked about how we can, we can get rid of some of those. Mm -hmm. Okay. And not moving the muscular system uh, allow, uh, lets the limb system get all backed up. So when we exercise, uh, our muscles contract and it actually squeezes uh, the little bulbs that are the lymph system to get them moving. The lymph doesn't have a propulsion system like our heart propels the blood lymph system. So if you don't move, uh, you're not detoxing. And if you're not sweating, you're probably not detoxing that much either. Um, so you got to keep moving. And this plays somewhat into the prevention. It's all tied together here. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. keep, keep moving. If you already have already been diagnosed, get moving because um, you probably haven't been. And uh, get the blood going through those tissues and other organs. So more on, inflammatory, on an inflammatory process is, and the integrative community has known about this for a long time, and I think the allopathic is finally coming on board, is that let's take a case of an arterial occlusion for a second. So someone has plugged up arteries. Well, for years, the saturated fats were pointed as to be to blame for that. The too much saturated fat, um, whether it was uh, from animal products or even avocado has some amount, amount of saturated fat in that plant can have both, um, that, that it accumulated and that's why your arteries got plugged up. Because what they saw, just like when looking at the brain, is that the plaque, which is similar, was in these arteries. Well, to start off with, that's not not a bad assessment. Okay, someone that, that doesn't have a good lifestyle eats all these fats that accumulates and they get plugged up. Okay, uh, what they found though is that it, let's say they go in and do what I call the roto rooter, where they took out took out everything. You would think that it would take, and if someone you know changed their their lifestyle and they saw this, that they would be probably good to go. Well, it didn't happen. It just plugged right back up again. Hmm. And the okay. reason it does is those our arteries are are blocked. They're, they're, they're damaged, they're damaged. Okay. And the body is purposely putting this plaque there to kind of like, if you're familiar with drywall or that it's spackle. So if drywall mm -hmm. gets, gets damaged, then you would use spackle solution to do, do it, to, uh, to replace, uh, replace the, the missing part or the crack or, or whatnot. And so the body is putting it there. So if you think about it like that, um, is the plaque in the brain coming there purposely to block other damage? I don't mm -hmm. know. And also, we talked about the blood brain barrier. I don't think the plaque can go through, but a lot of people have leaky uh, gut brain barriers. It leaks. And then a lot of things get up there that they shouldn't. Yeah. So maybe, maybe just maybe the people um, that have this, or if we were to extrapolate my arterial uh, um, theory to the brain. So the plaque gets up there, whether or not it's on purpose due to the high inflammatory levels and probably leakage in the, in the, in the gut brain barrier, because when the, the body doesn't have little fingers that put the plaque <laughs> where the arteries, the plaque is just in the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. um, just and it, it, it tends to attach where there's damage. So if it's in the bloodstream and someone had a leaky blood brain barrier, that would be a way for the plaque to get up in the brain and accumulate. Yeah. Okay. So let's say uh, our bodies and in, in, in usually in nature in general, usually have a, 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 a plan B, like if something were that sort of happen. Well, I mentioned before why sleep is so important and cerebral spinal fluid. So it happens that when we are in sleep, and I mean an REM sleep, like a deep sleep, is when the cerebral spinal fluid cleans our brain. That's mm -hmm. when it trends and cleans the brain. Oh, wow. Okay. It's just like someone brushing their teeth. And, you know, if for a night or two you don't sleep well or, or on a trip or jet lag, it's not a big deal if you don't brush your teeth maybe for a day or two. Okay. But if you don't brush your teeth for quite a while, what happens? Well, a plaque builds up. Well, if someone doesn't have good sleep patterns for 20 years and the cerebrospinal fluid is not circulating at night, that would be another way for that plaque to build up. Wow. That is fascinating, actually. 
So, and how many, (laughs) I mean, what percent of the population has a bad sleep schedule? Exactly. 80 plus percent. Yeah. That's wild. Okay. I'm sorry. Keep going. No, that's no. So, uh, yeah. So, so brush your teeth and sleep so you can brush your brain is there for root cause and also for ties right into the, into the prevention. If you're not sleeping well, um, try to find out why. And there are supplements for, for sleep. I think that they're, uh, good to take sometimes, like if you're traveling or jet lag or that. But if you have root sleep problems, um, come up with a, uh, you know, work, work with an integrative doctor and, and figure out what's really going on. Is it an emotional issue? Is it a hormone issue with melatonin, serotonin? You know, everybody's insomnia is probably different, but uh, that would be a great way to um, limit your risk in Alzheimer's and probably a lot of other neurocog diseases off that yeah. and just make you feel better because if you don't sleep, you don't feel good the next day. So yeah, well, and it's sleep is also when the body does a lot of its detoxing in general, not just of the brain. Right. right. So it's, I mean, it's just vitally, vitally important, but it's fascinating because I've never heard that connection to Alzheimer's before. And I know it's sort of just a theory that you're presenting, but there's a lot of common sense there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Okay, so that's the root cause, and then you would had wanted to know about uh, prevention, which is which is some of that. But I'll reiterate just a, l- a little bit of it for you. So, diet and lifestyle is our nutritionist Lily- Liliana would say sugar is the root of most evil. <laughs> Not all evil, but most. <laughs> There's other stuff out there, but sugar. The I guess the Bible it, had it wrong. Yeah, the Bible, <laughs> the, uh, the process, especially processed sugar. I'm not so much saying I'm like fruits and, and that, but um, it, that is is probably the best way to start is to get the blood sugar levels down. We like to see people with an HbA1c or as it's called allopathic, just A1c of 5.0. The regular blood test, even a fasting blood test, that's just a snapshot in time of someone's blood sugar level. Someone can be a very bad eater and for two days before the blood test be very good and that number will be good. But the HbA1c is an average of at least three months if not. So so it's harder harder to cheat with that one. And um I think as with most lab values, we at the center are quite a bit more strict. I think uh, in allopathic, they're happy if you're if you're at six or below, we really strive for like five or below. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're above that, especially if you're above six or even in, in a seven, uh, work with a nutritionist and or an integrative doctor and get that blood sugar down. That That's going to get your best chances of all chronic disease, not just not just Alzheimer's. Um, if you don't move, if you're on the couch potato, then uh, get moving. Uh, just walk. It doesn't have to be a big jog or a big thing. Just walk around the block. If you have a dog, take him or her. They'll love it <laughs> with you. Um, so that th- those two are probably the biggest. Um, the other, and this is uh, just a reference uh, for the, those that remember the 80s, is if you look at President Ronald Reagan, uh, he fit the sedentary uh, lifestyle. And for those too young to recall, his nickname was Jelly Bean. He was the Jelly Bean president because he loved Jelly Beans. So there's a sedentary lifestyle combined with sugar of someone that ended up with Alzheimer's. Now, I know that's just one person, but I think, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people in this country would kind of fit that and I think are at high risk factor for that. That was a theory of of how he ended up with it, just a theory. Um, So, okay, so diet, uh, exercise, lifestyle, get moving. And then at the first sign of any mental decline, and I think even before that, just uh, – Personally, I love uh, the, uh, the Luminosity app and try to play that every day. Is or if it's super side mental decline, there's a number of apps. A lot of them are free now uh, for brain exercises. And if someone is older, doesn't even have a computer or a tablet, you know, a crosswords or the uh, Sudoku are a great way way to 
work the brain just for mm -hmm. 10 or 20 minutes a day. That's a great brain exercise. Move your body, move your brain. Yeah, it's funny. I think we forget that the brain like is just a muscle in a way. And just like if we absolutely stopped using our arms, they would we would lose all the muscle there and they just wouldn't be that useful. It's the same thing. We need to work out the brain. Otherwise it goes into a state of atrophy and all the neurocog cases that I see my patients sadden me. They're all sad. What the most sad is someone who was a NASA scientist or a, a physicist at, at Caltech, very intelligent person in that realm, retires, doesn't use their brain, and ends up getting dementia to Alzheimer's. Wow. Just a completely different person because they were, because obviously their brain was working very well at one point. Mm -hmm. um, so I think even, and that's unfortunately the pattern I see, uh, even if you're not <laughs> a physicist or an astrophysicist or whatnot in your regular um, career, then I see into the retirement and then that's when the decline goes down. I don't know, probably a combination of not moving as much because they're not up as much, maybe not as good of a diet. In general, they're very high stress jobs. There's a long hours for a long period of time. It's not just like a month that they're doing that. So they're sort of priming the brain <laughs> to not be right, detoxing. To not be detoxing. And then they retire and they just stop using it altogether. Right. Atrophy, brain atrophy. Uh, two, yeah. two things, those just in general, because I was an engineer first and pizza was very common for dinner <laughs> with no <laughs> grains. It's just what we did back in undergrad. Um, and that population doesn't tend to have the healthiest diet. And then also uh, for those that are really working out in the field, that's great that you're not just behind a desk, but the level of chemical exposure in all of those, yeah. uh, all that rocket fuel and all that. And okay, we'll just, we'll just say it's part of someone's job. It's unavoidable. What can they do? Well, if they exercise and they sweat, at least they could get some of that stuff out. If they try to exactly. at least drink really pure water, um, none of it's that hard or that expensive. Totally. I mean, just know your lifestyle and then optimize it accordingly. I mean, even Dr. Keneally, who has like a super optimized lifestyle, really clean environment at home and in the office, she's like, I do something to support detoxification every single day. And so, but that's not really something we're taught and that comes into the realm of prevention, but it's also so much more customized, right? You know, look, so-and-so you are surrounded by jet engine fuel that gets into this pathway and is detoxed through this main area. So we're going to optimize that for you specifically. Absolutely. That's, allopathic medicine isn't there at all. No, no, it's not. Um, I just, not to be doomsday, but I, when I get up in the morning, I just think I'm going to be exposed to all this stuff today. I have quite a commute, you know, from, from San Diego and I'm going to, I know I'm getting the auto exhaust and that's just how it is, but what can I do? I can get in the, in the sauna when it opens back up again at <laughs> the club. Um, I can at least get out of my garden and sweat that, I mean, that's the, the very least. Um, and I can make sure that the food that I'm putting in the water, uh, at least has less of the, of the toxins than, uh, what the average person would be eating. Yeah, exactly. Anything else that you wanted to add to that? No, um, I'm curious what uh, what the listeners think of my theory uh, with the brain not being washed. Um, and, and I have just any any feedback is is always positive. And any other ideas? I'm happy to yeah. brainstorm. It doesn't really change what I do so much with the F scan and Firefly, but I think it's always good to be at the at the forefront. Yeah, be, be, well, the, be sure. the detective, right? <laughs> yeah, and if you're a listener, make sure to send us a message on social media, or if it's all right, I'll put some a contact information for you maybe your email at the center sure 
That's great. And they can just reach out and share their feedback or any any sort of comments they might have related to that. Any experiences? And also, I learned the most from my patients. You know, so, some people have come in and said, look, I did this uh, red pine oil, for example, and I, I, I passed quite a few parasites. I said, okay, can I take a picture of that? <laughs> and yeah. so, and then I can pass that on to the next patient. So if someone out there or a caretaker or a spouse has had success using a supplement or some form of diet or something with Alzheimer's, I'd love to hear it and be able to pass it on to my patient population. Yeah, I love that. It's just this continual attitude of learning and growth. Yeah, it, it, knowledge integration is what I call it. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly uh, integrating everything in. Yeah. Well, Dr. Bales, thank you so much. This was fantastic. I can't wait for our audience to be able to listen to this. Thank you so much. Look forward to uh, chatting with you again sometime.